I'm going to start today's message with a question and then an illustration and then the message. The question is this, what differentiates you from other people? What makes you different, unique from other people? And I guess to expand upon that, what makes our congregation, if it is differentiated or unique from a mother, among others? The next is a story. There's a group of friends barreling down the highway at 90 miles an hour. One of the friends who's in what's called the shotgun seat says, I don't know where we're going. I don't even have the address to put into the GPS. We're lost. The driver turns and says, yeah, I know, but at least we're making good progress. So the question is, is simply movement progress? Moses is going to answer differently. Movement going forward is not necessarily progress. So if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 33, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. Now I want you to notice that last time we took a look that there was the sin of the people worshiping a molten image of a calf or a bull and how that seemed to change God's reaction to things. And he changed it to from my people to your people and from my delivering them from Egypt to your delivering them from Egypt. And that he had told Moses Leave me alone that I might destroy them and start over with you. And Moses intercedes. And even though Moses offered the atonement of himself, and God said he would punish those who are responsible, there has been a consequence of their sin. And part of that consequence is, is that God has instant said, they're your people, you delivered them, but I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to give you the land that I promised to your forefathers. And he goes on to say, and I will send out, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite, the Pezzazite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. So God says, I've had it with you. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to deliver you this land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I've not changed what the land will be and what the promise is, is that it's going to be there and it's going to in essence be heaven on earth. It's going to be rich and plentiful and there will be opposition, but I'm going to clear it out. The change is, up until now, I led you. But now I'm going to send an angel, a messenger, who will be, go before you. But I can't do it anymore, because you might act the way you've been acting, and I might just take you out. 
When the people heard this sad word, I might add devastating word. When they heard this sad word, they went into mourning and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So from this point, the people have decided they're no longer going to party. They're not going to dress up. All the, the ornaments of, of their wealth, they've removed because they understand that this is not a day of celebration, but a day, if you will, of mourning because God is not going with them. He's sending another. Now, most people would look at it and say, well, God's keeping his promise. Let's go chugging on. Let's get there. Let's, let's take the promises of God. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad that we aren't going to have his presence. But after all, what we want is the stuff. We want the promise. So let's go. But Moses has a different attitude. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of the meeting, which was outside the camp. Now notice, God had been telling them how to construct his tabernacle. And that was going to be in the midst of the people. But now there's this tent. They haven't made the tabernacle yet because of the golden calf incident. God now is going to meet with Moses a far distance outside their habitation. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would rise, arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Now, I want you to notice, God didn't show up every Sabbath day. We have this tendency to think, well, we're supposed to worship God on our Sundays or the Sabbath because that's when we call. Notice when God shows up to meet with Moses, they stand at their tent and worship him. So much for just worshiping him at church. We should be worshiping God whenever he shows up, and hopefully that's even at home. But they stand and they know something's happening because they see God descend by this pillar of cloud upon the tent to meet with the Moses. So they know God is in, still in their presence. It's just that they're having to be at a distance. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Moses, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So I'm going to take the last verse first. Jer Joshua acted, if you will, as a bodyguard. He made sure that no one would enter the tent. He was there to protect the relationship between Moses 
and God. God would meet with Moses, as it says, as a man would meet face to face. Now, if you've ever read the scripture that says that no man can see the face of God and live, that's still true. This is an idiom to say that Moses is not talking to God through a dream. He's not talking to God through a vision. He's not texting God. He's not using his cell phone to meet with God. That God is in the presence of Moses speaking. There is a, just as friends used to, I know now, especially younger people will sit at the same table with their family and then text to each other. Um, It's a product of our current culture. But we used to talk face to face. And that's what they're saying, that there was that intimate relationship between Moses and God. He wasn't like the other prophets who received their instructions through a dream. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will be sending with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. So first he says, okay, you told me an angel is going. I don't know who that is. That's not good enough. I want to know. You, if, if you've told me I found favor in your sight, and I found, then let me know your ways. Now notice what Moses is asking. He's not asking that God might show him his power. He's seen God's power. He's seen it by a bush that burned, that it wasn't consumed. He saw it by a staff being made into a snake and back into a staff. He saw the Nile turn to blood. He saw all these signs and wonders that he demonstrated to the Egyptians. He saw God part the Red Sea so that they might walk on dry land. He saw God provide manna. He saw God provide water. He didn't ask for God to show him his power. He's seen God's power. What he's wanting to know is, I want to know you, God. Not just what you do, but who you are. I want to know your ways. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses is saying, they're not mine. I don't want them. They're yours. But you've asked me to lead them, so I will lead them. But they're still your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses gets what he's asking for. He says, God, it's not good enough that you send somebody else. I want to know your ways. I want to be in your presence. And God responds by saying, not only will my presence go with you, I'm also going to give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Now I want you to realize what Moses is saying. He is saying that the presence of God and his leading is more important than anything else. Because I want you to think where they are. God promised them to take them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, where are they now? In a desert. 
Moses saying, I'd rather be stuck in the desert than to have your promises fulfilled if you're not there when we get there. It's not good enough for you to simply make promises and fulfill them and I not know who you are. I need your presence. To me, this shows a very spiritually mature person. All so often in our prayer lives, it is, God, show me your power. God, do this. God, do that. God, I need help. And those are wonderful. We need to pray for those things because there are times when we need his power. But we all too often limit our prayer life to show me your power rather than show me who you are. I would rather have you than your promise. I would rather be in your presence than to be where you told me I'm going. Again, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Now I suspect when I ask you the question, what made you different, differentiated from anybody else? You probably had the natural reaction and said, well, God made me unique and um, I have curly hair or straight hair or I'm white, black, in between, I'm this, I'm that. And you listed a bunch of characteristics. Moses is saying the characteristic isn't that we cut off a portion of our flesh. The characteristic isn't that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. The characteristic is you're with us. Our God is in our presence. And that's what makes us different from all the other nations. And that's what makes believers different from everyone else. God's presence in our lives. For he promised and said, not only I am with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He also said that he dwells within us that we are his temple, his tabernacle, that his presence is there. Which I want to respond to someone um, who once said um, on our social media, it's really difficult to give thanks to an, an imaginary person. Let me say this. There are proofs of our God. You can look out into outer space in the farthest reaches of the universe to see the hand of God. You can see in the smallest recesses of the atom the hand of God. You can see our placement in the universe, what they call the Goldilocks placement, not too hot, not too cold, the placement of where God is. Not only the universe declares his majesty and his glory, Jesus rose from the dead, a fact. I don't need an imaginary friend. I have a very real one who is the God of the resurrection. I also know that because he lives within my life, 
I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep all of his promises, no matter how bad it looks. So my God is not imaginary. My God is not something I hope for. My God is something who is, whether I see it or not. So our church and our people should be distinguished from any other place because we want the presence of God. It's not good enough we fill an auditorium. It's not good enough that we have building programs. It's not good enough that we have various types of ministries. What's only good enough is that we are distinguished by God being in our midst. And driving 90 miles down a highway, hoping to get somewhere, simply isn't good enough. It is better to sit in the desert with God than be on our way. The Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and you have known, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. I want to go further, God. We're talking face to face, and, and you can tell me, but I want to see who you are. I want to see your glory. I want it to impact me. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God says, I'm going to show you who I am. And a part of who I am is my goodness, and it's going to pass before you. I'm going to reveal just how good our God is. We sing about the goodness of God. Moses is going to see it firsthand. Now, it's interesting in this passage, when God tells Moses, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, and will have uh, mercy on whom I have mercy. Paul picks this up in Romans, in Romans chapter 9. It says this, verse 9 chapter, verse, uh, of chapter 9. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah who also when she was conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for th though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then if God, if there is no justice with God, is there? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. 
So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Part of that goodness that Moses sees of God is the understanding that, yes, God, that Moses found favor in the sight of God. But it was not that Moses was a great person. As a matter of fact, Moses was raised in the same household with Pharaoh. Just as Jacob and Esau were raised in the same house, God chose one and not the other. God chose the orphan, if you will, the one released into the river to live in the house of Pharaoh rather than Pharaoh himself. God says, to whom I have mercy, it's my decision, not yours. It's not your incredible ability, Moses. It's me. But, verse 20, he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. The truth of the matter is our God is so glorious, so holy, so magnificent, that the human condition cannot see it and live. That's just how awesome our God is. But God didn't leave it to God and say, well, I'm sorry. You're human. I'm not. Maybe another time next day. He gives Moses another opportunity. He says this. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about that while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. There's a hymn we just sang that talks about that. God says, I'm going to let you see the back part of my glory. You can't see it face to face, but you'll see the remnants of it. But I have to shield you from even that. So I'm going to place you in a cleft of a rock, like a little cave, and I'm going to place my hand there to protect you so then that you might see. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The fact that Moses was the lawgiver, and again, I dispute that, he was the law translator. God gave the law, he simply gave it to the people. And even though he was revered for that throughout, even to this day, these are the things that make me in awe of Moses' maturity and how would inspire me to hope to be more like Moses. God, I want to be in your presence. If, if, you're not, if, you're not, if I'm not in your presence and you're not leading, then I don't want to go. Just leave me here. And then they say, God, I want to know you. Just as Paul prayed for us that we may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That was Paul's prayer for us, and that ought to be our prayer for ourselves, that we might know him and that power of resurrection. And that even that is not good enough, that we might know more his ways. Yes, to see his goodness and to see his holiness and to see his wrath and to see his mercy and to see his compassion and to see his power and to see his wisdom and all of that he is. But instead of just making, being limited to what a boyfriend we have in Jesus, but that to see that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to see who he is, to know who he is, and to see his glory. Oh, how bankrupt our prayer life. God do this, God do that, God be here, God do that. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But if you and I are to be different, then we need to be praying, God, show me who you are. Show me not just your power. Show me you. Show me your glory. And I want to be different because I want a relationship with you that's different. And I want the world to see that I am different because I walk not with an imaginary friend but with the God of the universe who knows me, my name. And I have found favor in his sight. How do I know that? Because Jesus' blood has covered me from all my sins. I don't deserve it. I'm not entitled to it. But God will demonstrate that he shows mercy upon whom he shows mercy. And he took someone like me to show me mercy, which means that he can show someone like you mercy and compassion. So, my prayer for us as a church is to say, God, if you're not going to lead us, then just leave us. But we want you to lead us by your presence not by someone else, not by an angel, not even by Michael or Gabriel or anybody else that we know about. We want you to lead us. And we want to know you. And we want to see your glory and we want to proclaim your glory as an individual and as a church because not of us, but because you are worthy of all of that. And we're not going to be satisfied standing at our tents to worship you. We want to be in your presence. And all God's people said...